Hello, welcome to A Curious About Nature. This week I'm joined by Eamon Galvin, who's the CEO of No Carbon Help Businesses and Individuals Make Better Carbon Choices. Hello, Eamon. Hi, Rachel. Lovely to talk today. Yeah, it's lovely to see you. We were just chatting earlier about the fact that we've never really seen each other's faces because we met on Clubhouse. And I think I've spent the summer on Clubhouse one year. We've had plenty of conversations, but it's really nice to see your face today and put a face to the voice behind No Carbon. Really intrigued to find out about No Carbon today and what really inspired your startup. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yeah, of course. Of course, my background is more in the past was in technology. So I worked for, for eBay for a number of years i feel like marketplace type businesses yeah but for no carbon which is k-n-o-w carbon um just a bit of a, a word play the personal things that, that drove it were one i remember going for my morning coffee and i'm thinking oh, i have to get one of those kidney cups and i this was going on for maybe three or four months and i, I thought like what's stopping me from actually just going out and buying a cup that i can use for my, my coffee and i thought it's not that i don't think it's a good idea but i just don't know what the data behind it does it actually make a difference so that kind of started that journey. I, I then started thinking about what's my carbon footprint. And I found that there's some nice tools to identify the footprint, your footprint, but it doesn't necessarily tell you about the footprint of the different products we buy. So that was the start yeah. of the journey, which was a curiosity to understand what drives the carbon footprint of the products we consume every day and how can we improve that. And the second one, I, I went to one of the Fridays for, for climate. I talked with my younger daughter, who was 12 at the time. Yeah. And I just remember the amazing emotion of the, all of the, the kids. It was good natured, but you can also sense a younger generation not quite knowing what to do. And I'm thinking they're going to, if you like, live with some of the consequences of the decisions we're making. And mm -hmm. therefore, we have skills that we can use and there's changes that we can make now. So it was that commitment, if you like, to if I was in her shoes, what would I be doing now? It would be different. I know that whole story resonates very much with the reasoning behind Buttercup Learning that inspired by my own daughter and uh, her fascination. And it is that uh, wasn't a was sort of sense of guilt a little bit was underlying it in terms of my generation, my parents' generation and their impacts on the planet and what we're leaving behind. But then I thought, well, instead of being negative and anxious about it, let's do something positive. And it sounds like to me what you've done in terms of your sort of career shift is very much that the carbon footprints, that term is bandied around a lot. Can you explain simply what and why carbon footprints are important? If you look at a carbon footprint, it's understanding over the full life cycle of the product. So typically what's called an LCA or a life cycle assessment of the product identifies for any product. We could take my iPhone here, for example. You look at that product and you determine over its full life cycle. What we mean by that is all the raw materials that go into making it, how they're shipped to the production facility, the making of the foam, the electricity used in the factory, all of those factors, the shipping of the product are hopefully not air freighted, but in some cases it can be air freighted. And then the actual sale and your use of the unit. So it looks to identify throughout that full life cycle, what are all of the elements of uh, carbon that, that, are, that are used. And from that, you have a summary number, which is typically the number of kilos of carbon equivalent that's causing the creation of that product. And from it, then if it's for a consumer, I can make an informed decision if I know that. Or if it's a business, I can understand, okay, these are the parts 
of my production process that are having the biggest impact on my carbon and therefore I need to look to reduce. But as an individual, we have a carbon footprint. Every country has a carbon footprint in terms of the amount of carbon as a society or as a country they're actually emitting. And businesses, every business has a carbon footprint. They may or may not know exactly what it is, but they do have an impact. I think for Buttercup, one of the things that really inspired me was I went to a talk with Green Tech Southwest and they were looking at digital footprints. It's something that I think we're not really quite conscious of, this idea that digital happens in the cloud and, and that somehow this the, the, the internet doesn't have an impact or our emails don't have an impact or digital files don't or our websites. And it's suddenly it was that kind of realization that actually we can control those things and the impact that how our website is hosted in terms of the server itself is that green hosted is there offsetting involved in terms of the impact that we can't necessarily initially affect it became a very much a passion project so for me three months of investigating that and, and becoming really aware of the fact that I'd created a site that everybody loved had all the bells and whistles and video footage and so on. But actually, it didn't sit comfortably with my own company's values. And, and, and certainly, we made those changes in our website. And we're still learning how to make sure that what I put out there is uh, digitally lowering footprint. But if you're thinking about carbon footprints, again, what's the impact on the environment if we don't start to think about both business and personal footprints? The data is absolutely clear. We have the, the IPCC produce reports. They, they did one last year, which was called Code Red for Humanity. But they, within that, they've quantified the amount of carbon and carbon equivalent uh, mm. gases that, that we have emitted to date. So your point earlier around we are where we are, we, there's a significant amount of the greenhouse gases that we have emitted carbon, which is one, that are accelerating this um, climatic change that we're seeing. And they've quantified that in terms of our existing carbon emissions we also know globally how much we emit each year, which is about 40 billion tonnes, which is a, is a huge number. It's even hard to get your head around the size of that. But that's what we emit. It typically grows each year with a slight decrease for COVID, but it typically is starting to pick back up again. So we haven't really been able to address that. And the third really important number is the carbon budget, which they estimate to be 500 billion tonnes which says basically, you know, you've got another 12 plus years of budget available or you start to have, the way they describe it is, you have a very high probability of warming over the, the one and a half degrees. It's quantified in terms of the Paris Climate Agreement, which was an agreement between countries around the objective of getting to net zero by 2050. So it's becoming very concrete and tangible yeah. around the importance of actually reducing our, our, our greenhouse gas emissions, which carbon is a, is a key one. So have you any tools that you recommend uh, for measuring a family's uh, carbon footprint? I do. There's a really nice tool called Giki. We're members of that. Two of my employees have been using that for their own personal footprints, especially. Yeah, so I would recommend that. It's a really good first step. They have concrete actions that you can take to reduce your, your footprint. So I think that's a really nice, uh, yeah. that's a really nice tool. 
Yeah, I, li I like also the kind of gamification side of that. I think if you're uh, young students or in a family or, you know, even competing uh, against parents, against grandparents, there's that kind of challenge to see who can reduce their footprint in a nice way. Have you used that yourself in the past with your own family? I, I have. So I have Giki. We're making, have made changes and are constantly making changes. I mean, similar to the way you described the way you're thinking about reducing your digital footprint. Mm. Once you start to yes. un, un, <laughs> understand what's driving it, then in, in your case, for Buttercup, understanding digital footprint, then you start to find additional action. I think for every family, transportation is, is going to have a, yeah. an impact. The, the home in terms of the actual, our, our energy use, food, clothes, uh, and then the, the other stuff that are just part of our everyday lives. One of the things that my family are looking at the moment is leasing an electrical vehicle through my company. I think that's our next big step, really. We have made quite good inroads as a family because that's something that we've been doing for probably 20, 25 years, trying to gradually sort of change our lifestyle. You know, by no means perfect. So we're a two-car family, but there are a certain kind of things that we can do to make those changes. What small steps do you think can make a huge difference? If you're a family, what, what would you recommend? So I think if you come back to what are the big drivers, mm. I think that's always useful because within those, there's smaller things that can start you on the journey. When you think about the transportation, the three R's in terms of reduce, reuse, recycle, in the case of the car transportation or transportation in general, yeah. The first thing is, like, do you actually need to make the trip? If you have to make the trip, look at the alternatives that will have a lower footprint. Public transport will typically be lower than driving your car. But then there's lots of new businesses and models like car share. So again, you don't need to buy a car. I was hoping car share would come to our village, but at the moment it's, it seems to be much more sort of city-based. I've been trying to get a car share group where I live. It hasn't been successful yet, but I'm going to keep trying. We've been trying to encourage people through Facebook groups that we're part of within the local village, which is one of these sort of sharing freebie groups. Interestingly, today I picked up a, a jacket from a lady. It saved me buying something that I'm only going to wear maybe a handful of times. It just feels good. It'd be really great. And that lending sharing economy thing is something I think that it, you can see it's starting to take off. What we've explored is the underlying data and the underlying data behind it is very good as well. It's a great example that you've used, but that suit, if you've gone out to buy a new one, you will incur a carbon footprint. It's about 23 kilos for every kilo of clothes items. So if that suit, for example, let's say it was a kilo, then you'd be incurring 23 kilos that product. The point is that every purchase you make has a consequence, but the more the product is used, then you're getting better utilization out of it. It's the same with kids' toys, isn't it? That's a big one for parents. We've tried renting toys. My daughter struggled with the whole idea of giving things back. So we found that toy swaps are a little bit better where kids got a bit bored. So that seems to work better for her. I definitely think if you've got grandparents, get them to pay for a year's subscription instead of a present and you've got a kid who's going to be over the moon with that sort of big toy exchange type idea. Definitely. Yeah, it's, just, it's such a good example. And then maybe traditionally we would have thought about buying those toys and then you have the option of the of, of sharing them but there are also other activities for example if you were to buy music lessons for the kids or, or be part of a local playgroup the services typically have a lower footprint because you're paying for a human to do something than, than the products so it's quite interesting because people always think oh but if we don't buy them toys like what are we going to get them there's so many other things you can do that will have yeah no that's a good point have a, have a much lower impact 
Yeah, they, yeah, they're experiences, isn't it, that, that give children that kind of uh, sense. I remember some of my toys from my childhood, but the things that I remember the most are trips to the local farm, milking a goat, that kind of thing, rather than, oh, I got the latest Cabbage Patch doll. Although I'd still own my Cabbage Patch doll, actually, I've still got it. But my daughter's not interested in it, she thinks it looks a bit, a bit off. So uh, it's sat in a cupboard waiting for her to one day go, you know what, I might play with that. So maybe one day we'll have to see if there's any ca cabbage patch collector out there that wants it rather than it sitting there gathering dust. I'm curious, you've given some examples already, but what kind of steps are your family taking and what's your priorities at the moment? Food is a big impact, a big driver. Now, the big one that jumps out is just the, the significant carbon footprint of, of meat products. One kilo of meat can typically be 50 to 60 kilos of CO2. I like when I can see the actual data behind it. You can see such a huge difference between the animal-based food products versus the plant-based. Mm. So for us, when I'm in the supermarket now, I would just buy as much of the plant-based products, the vegetables, the, I just that it's so much lower, then you don't really even need to worry, as long as it's not flown. And then simple things like if you're buying the, the meat products, there's only four of us. So we've reduced our consumption, but also I've noticed in the supermarkets that the portion size, they can actually have five pieces of meat. I, I'm very conscious now of the actual weight. So we've really minimized. Yeah, no, that's really good advice. Definitely. I think that's with everything, isn't it? Whether it's um, plant-based or meat or dairy or whatever it is you're eating. We've tried to reduce our portion size down a little bit as well this last year where i remember telling you once in a clubhouse about our oat milk because <laughs> we get free quite a lot my, my daughter still prefers the branded stuff i think it's because it's a bit more salty than uh, mommy makes we have made uh, homemade oat milk but it's not something that we've managed to keep up as much as i'd like i, I loved your stats on plant milks i know when you were breaking that down and this idea of like you said real tangible figures i think it's fascinating it sort of brings home when you compare things against other items or other products, it gives you that kind of real incentive, I think, to make those small changes. Do you have any favourite stats on travel or holidays? What's around maybe if a family was in the UK versus maybe travelling abroad? Yeah, so air travelling is challenging. They are you know, significant emitters. There's often the argument it's only 1% of, of global emissions, but that I think that significantly understates the scale of the challenge. The UK and Ireland is the same. It's closer to 8% of emissions because it's not really realistic to, to say it's 1% globally because there's only a small proportion of people that actually fly. And within that, you have high frequency users that have, let's say, bigger footprints. So look, any opportunity to reduce flying has a significant impact. And embedded in part of that is too, is just the distances. So longer distance is, is going to have a, a bigger impact. A practical step is Google now have on their Google flights as you select the destinations, they actually have the actual footprint number. Yeah. So you can yeah. then very quickly see what's the impact. A couple of other interesting things. Flying economy is going to be lower than flying business class or premium because you take up less uh, space. Less, less space. <laughs> um, so that's another one. If you can holiday locally, then it is a great option. Even even if you do have to drive, it's quite likely that you will. You, you can do the calculation based on your size of car and the distance versus the flights, it, it will have a lower lower footprint. And also we've looked, for example, last year I, I had to go to, I was in uh, London, but actually for the return leg, I actually took the train to Hollyhead and the boat over. And actually I left Euston Station at nine o'clock on a Friday morning and got into Dublin Port at six o'clock, which sounds like a long time, but actually 
on the train journey to Hollyhead, I was able to, to work and take calls. So it feels like it's a long time, but actually when you have your laptop and you do your normal stuff. Definitely. I think that's one of the things as a parent, we, we were talking about this yesterday. My daughter was saying, oh, all my friends are going abroad. When are we going to travel again by aeroplane? And it's eventually we will, but not in the UK. We'll get the train or we'll take a trip and meet grand and granddad halfway rather than doing the long haul journeys. It would be lovely to go to Europe. So let's do the ferry or do alternative routes rather than jumping on an aeroplane. And I, I think it's really great way to start to talk to kids about that. During COVID times, obviously, lots of us stayed in the UK and, and holidayed here anyway. So it's really great. We, we're going to do some stargazing and rent a tent from a tent share over the summer holidays and just camp out in our back garden and have a few stargazing nights outside and do the whole bit, a bit of a, a break from home rather than feeling that need to go really far to get a new experience together. So we're looking forward to that. It should be lots of fun, I think. But yeah, there's one more thing that I think is really interesting about carbon footprints at the moment. And is this idea that it was an invention from some of the biggest polluters. And it's come up recently that it was started as a way to quantify take away from that conversation around what's really happening. And I wonder whether or not that maybe puts some people off at the moment. How do you think we can all take responsibility, but make sure huge corporations and government also make those positive changes? Yeah, it's a really good question. What we've seen is, I believe it was BP introduced yeah. the concept of, of, of carbon footprinting. And the idea that they were, were bringing was that it was individuals' responsibility for their footprint. And there's a certain element of that. I think where some people are against the carbon footprint is they feel that it's because it was originated by the likes of BP that they're effectively trying to pass off the responsibility onto us as individuals and that, that individuals by ourselves can't make enough change that we need this more systematic stuff. So I think we need to be absolutely clear in terms of the position, like the fossil fuels need to stay in the ground. Everything we do to eliminate and reduce fossil fuels has to has to happen. So I can understand that argument that kind of says it's, we can't do it as individuals. We can't. So I, I see it as this three-legged stool where you have government setting regulations, you have business, and then you have individuals. And I don't know any one of those three parties can do it individually. Mm. For me, I, I find it really helpful to understand the actual footprint and what's driving the footprint of the products I consume. And then also understand the footprint of the businesses and which businesses are, are, are creating the most footprint. So I, I just find it really useful to know that and make those decisions. The fossil fuels need to stay in the ground. For me, this is a useful tool to help to help that. But I think they still absolutely 100% need to take responsibility for their emissions. And, and we know publicly how much the companies produce in terms of their fossil fuel production. In my mind, they're on the hook for those emissions. So what's next for no carbon? What we focused on, Rachel, is understanding the footprint of individual products. And we do that for business customers that they're trying to understand, like what are the big drivers of their footprint? And then we help them building tools. Once we've identified what the footprint of their products are, what are the key steps they can take? And also working with consumers to understand what are the the bigger changes they can make. I mean, for example, the shift to plant-based milks versus dairy-based milks is, has a big impact. The, the UK carbon budget has, the, the key items it has there, it has car transportation, flights, meat production, and dairy milk. It's in the top five items. So that change is really important. Where I see it happening a lot, I don't know if you notice this, is 
actually in coffee shops. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. So there is a big difference when you take you know, your cup of coffee, for example, uh, if you have your latte with milk in it, dairy milk versus having it with plant-based milk, it's significantly lower footprint. If you have a flat white compared to a latte, for example, then physically consuming less and there's less yeah. involved, that also is a lower footprint. Just the curiosity I ask a lot of the baristas now, how's it going with the oatmeal? Oh yeah, it's, like it's, it's really popular. It's interesting to see how that change is, is happening, but then if enough people do it, then it starts to have an impact. It's, it is really interesting, isn't it? I got some fantastic business cards printed out of recycled coffee cups this week. So ones that were going to go straight to landfill as a printing company near where I live that basically takes that waste and turns it into new form of paper. So I've got coffee cup, augmented reality business cards for an event tomorrow, but they're also experimenting with all sorts of things like seaweed paper and grass cuttings and other bits and pieces that might just end up in the landfill. So it'd be interesting to see how that industry itself changes because obviously printing is quite a polluting industry in terms of wastewater and management of that side of things. So yeah, it'll be, uh, be interesting to see what are the positive changes that we see people making. I always find it fascinating that how we live our daily lives and how do we actually change that and what prompts people to make those changes? Yeah, for me, it was I was 19, so it's quite a while ago now. <laughs> I went from being a meaty northeasterner to living up in Glasgow as a student and overnight became a vegetarian. And it was a film about abattoirs and it was very much a, an artist's exhibition about how we eat around the world that inspired me to start to make changes. So I started off with being vegetarian and then moved into uh, more kind of eco-conscious sort of lifestyle. And when I moved to Bristol, I, I just remember being surrounded by lots of plastic bottles of shampoos and conditioners. And I probably had about 20 of them. And I looked and thought, I don't use any of this stuff. It's just things. And I gave the whole bag away to this uh, pregnant lady who was like, oh, I love pampering myself. And I knew then that these products were going to get used instead of being just left there and I converted overnight to shampoo bars and refills and things like that and never really looked back to be honest and it just became kind of part of who I am. My husband says that I have a, a bit of a minimalist mentality. I don't like things. I, I just enjoy having that kind of mental headspace of not having clutter but there are certain things that I do still desire things like books i do enjoy a good book and, and owning books is something that i still i still have that urge but when it comes to anything else unless it has a practical function i'm just not interested i've made very incremental changes to certain things like beauty products that was a clean sweep i drank milk for quite a while it's a vegetarian that still had milk and eggs and gradually that's got less and less but when it came to buying stuff that was a really easy one for me to change whereas for some people for instance other family members love shopping they get a buzz from it so I do understand that for people it can be difficult to make those types of changes I am possibly an anomaly when it comes to wanting to own stuff I get that so it's I think it is interesting isn't it how we can take those little small steps like you said it could be changing from a meat-free day to drinking more plant milk instead of cow's milk or even just cutting out altogether I for many years drank black coffee didn't have cow's milk in it at all and didn't miss it and I think it is those little minor adjustments that we can make that gradually if you add all of them up over time 
it can have a huge impact on your carbon footprint. So being just a little bit more mindful. I remember Rebecca calling you the carbon king once and that understanding that data and the science behind it, I think is really wonderful. It really helps other people to understand it in a really concrete and tangible way. You've given some really great figures and stats since I've known you and I love that accessibility to it. Yeah, I find too it can be a bit empowering once you start to understand more about it because I know when I go into a supermarket now I know there's a whole load of tempting stuff there like the example I used of buying the disposable tent and I look at that and I go no from a carbon perspective I actually can't afford to buy it but it's also a little bit empowering because I go to the, the vegetable stall and there's a lovely food market we have here on Sundays and we typically get a lot of our vegetable there but you go down and you can guilt-free buy as much as you like because it's locally sourced. So in some ways, I've used the example of the coffee, but obviously I could probably get it down even lower, but I know that I'm taking the smaller amount and I'm using the oat milk. When you know a little bit more about what sits behind it, the data that sits behind it, then you can start to make better decisions. You feel a little bit more empowered because we're bombarded by the things that are happening to do with the climate and it feels like that stuff is happening, but what can we do about it? What I like is, okay, what can I actually do about it? And how can I talk to my friends about, because interestingly, they, not all people will listen to you, but my peers and friends, they, they were listening to things like the cars. So when I shared with them the, the, the data on the car, it's really interesting the discussion that, that, that comes out of that and influences their decision and their to go talk to somebody else. And it's amazing how much of the knowledge we have is, is shared between these different peer groups and once they understand that then you know they, they share that with, with other people and then collectively we, we maybe make better decisions yeah I, th I thought it was quite interesting what old birds the training company were doing and they've got little carbon labels which breaks down the footprint of their, their trainers and it's something that i, I want to do with um, buttercups posters to show that journey from kind of ideation through to print and delivery to a, a customer um, so I'll definitely be in touch with you, Eamon, to uh, maybe see if we can hire No Carbon to help us work out the, the figures around that. It'd be a really great project to do together at some point. Looking forward to it. And brilliant to talk as, as ever. Yeah. So do check out Eamon Galvin on No Carbon. Thank you again. Thanks so much. Thanks, Rachel. Bye.